You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and I'm a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. There is an undeniable patient-led push for an integrative healthcare system. As we as patients learn more and begin to take on more responsibility for our own health, there seems to be a growing number of medical doctors who are opening up to the possibility of more encompassing care, care that addresses the emotional, spiritual, as well as the physical parts of our being. And to talk about this changing landscape, our guest today is Dr. Cami Benton. Dr. Benton is a functional medicine trained MD who owns Benton Integrative Medicine, and holistic direct primary care office. She has studied integrative modalities since graduating medical school in 2000 to include nutrition, homeopathy, Ayurveda, and functional medicine. In recent years, she is exploring more mind, body, and spirit paths to apply to her medical practice. Also, after the traumatic years of the pandemic, it became obvious to her the need to reevaluate the current medical system and to work on creating parallel medical systems. She is working with a team to create a mini hospital called Compass Integrative Health that has a fully integrative spin to help patients when they are their sickest to have the best of all medicine. Her hobbies are learning more about everything and finding about more rabbit holes dancing, enjoying time with her beloved Kyle Hall, and eating dinner at home with her four children between all the sports activities. And her goal is to try and make the world a better place in every way so she can honor her path that God is providing for her. We talk about, uh, as mentioned uh, above, the changing landscape of of the medical system and how how allopathic medicine is failing the, the patient um, why it needs to be changed, why giving space for the patient's story is critical for healing, and what Dr. Benton's vision for creating integrative hospitals is. Please stay tuned with us. We will be back in just a few minutes to talk with Dr. Benton. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. 
Welcome back, everybody. Today's show has been recorded, so no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Dr. Benton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's just a pleasure. Uh, you know, when we talk about medicine and the changing, the changing landscape of medicine, you're one that has been like in the in the thick of it, up to your knees in the changing landscape. What what would you say? You know, this could be a very long answer, which is absolutely fine. What helped you transition from allopathic care into a functional medicine direction? Yes. Long answer. <laughs> That's absolutely fine. We have lots of time. So um, I would say it kind of started back in residency. I graduated medical school in 2000 and I quickly in residency got the feeling that patients weren't feeling heard and um, I didn't feel heard. So I, I would have patients come to me with kind of complex issues that was outside of the scope of my training. And when I would go to the attendings to ask for like help on this, they would be like, Oh, they read too much Dr. Google. They, they're not really having that problem. And, and I had a really hard time. Like for instance, one of the ladies, she had like a lot of fungal infections, like underneath her arms and her groin, like in her tongue, she had the the thrush on her tongue, recurring yeast infections. Um, and, and I looked at her like, well, you are covered in fungus. And she's like, I've got, I've got systemic candida. And that word is considered like, it's just considered quackery in mm-hmm. allopathic medicine. And so I went to my attendings and they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's just all in her head. And she just has to have cancer or AIDS to have that. And so I go back to this woman covered in fungal infections <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, they just don't know how to treat you. So I don't know what to do. Sorry. You know, and, and that was just the beginning of my like, wow, like we like we don't know how to do everything uh, in, in medicine and it's OK. We're not supposed to know everything. But I did not like being taught to dismiss the patients and kind of making fun of um, their really legitimate concerns. So that was sort of the beginning of it. And then when I was driving on my first year of practice down this road, going to work, I was like, oh, my God, this is it in medicine. I'm I've learned how to give this pill, which causes this side effect. And then I treat that side effect with that pill and, and this side effect with that pill. And I was like, I just felt like I was had become a pill pusher. And I was like, there's got to be more to this than medicine. And then I found a homeopath, actually giving a talk, and which fascinated me. I'm like, well, wow, there's a whole other form of medicine. And I grew up without going to the doctor. I grew up in the very country areas, um, not really good access to medical care because we didn't have health insurance and everything, of course, is expensive and far away from where we were. So I, I had this romantic idea of medicine that was I was not seeing while practicing. Um, and I was like, but homeopathy was just too different. So I struggled with like seeing how that naturopath that was doing the homeopathy was able to help people that I couldn't help. And I was sending people to specialists everywhere that were coming back on antidepressants. Uh, and it's like because their medical issues were just in their head. And I just did not feel good about that. And so then when my children and myself had various, med- I call them medical misadventures, and I can get into that if you want, but uh, medical misadventures, um, which I can write a book about all this, quite frankly. And then I'm like, wait a second. So again, Western medicine, allopathic medicine was kind of blowing us off or not knowing what to do or promising a lifetime of medications. I was like, I can't do this. And so um, 
on top of my busy practice and, you know, my three children, I had to go through learn functional medicine, some homeopathy, nutrition to help recover their health. Um, as well as my own. So through that, then I, I started studying formally the, at the Institute of Functional Medicine and then A4M, which is another uh, organization, and started practicing my practice. And honestly, it re- revived my love and my faith in what I thought was medicine. And uh, then the last three years, of course, the pandemic was enough to like cement my questioning of how allopathic medicine is being practiced and at least in the United States, um, it's it proved to me that we have to get creative um, on the ground with where we're heading uh, because there's so much regulatory capture, quite mm-hmm. frankly. And uh, we have to do things differently. Uh, so and and even beyond functional medicine, like even beyond functional medicine, I've gone more into a spiritual energy medicine of trying mm-hmm. to figure out even then I felt like I could help people that could not be helped with regular medicine. But then even within that, like some of those people had like serious spiritual traumas, spiritual traumas um, that they could not get past. And and then in discovering that, once I was able to help guide them either through me or through another energy worker or spiritual worker or something like that, uh, then they were able to start getting better. So then I was like, wow, like there's this whole other world of medicine out there, even then that I didn't know, Mm -hmm. it's been a blessing to be able to start exploring during the pandemic. Do you think that allopathic medicine, like when we talk about it, the same situations always seem to come up and I, I don't like to, to, um, you know, hammer allopathic doctors, but do you think it's a dismissive system, dismissive system, or a fundamental lack of knowledge? It's complicated. Um, I think that for some of your listeners that have really done a lot of the research, there's a big shift in the early 1900s when Rockefeller came in and and that's when the pharmaceutical companies came out. And a lot of good things has come out of that. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's nothing's all good and nothing's all bad. Like right? a lot of amazing uh, discoveries have been made within the pharmaceutical companies. But unfortunately, what happened was in order to promote this very lucrative system, they really dismissed all the integrative uh, providers and criminalized them quite frankly. And I think that's where they started going wrong. Um, and they created the us against them when first I'm naturally, I'm an integrative doctor. So I think there's good things about so many different systems and why would we not want to, to bring the best of everything into play. But I think to create a system where you um, are really primarily utilizing the more lucrative methods of treatment you have to convince those doctors that that's the only way to do it. Uh, and I, from what I could tell in all my years of kind of questioning sort of the status quo, like for me, I'm able to, I, I can, I've gone down so many rabbit holes and so many different areas of medicine and politics and business and everything. Um, and I'm like, why is it that doctors are so reluctant to open their hearts to these integrative modalities, right? And because I think they're, most doctors are inherently good people. And I think they really do care about their patients. But somewhere, there's been a lot of mantra Mm -hmm. (laughs) making 
uh, on and medicine of what you need to do. And and I think that there's a lot of training. I think by and I would say I think by nature of most doctors, like we are overachievers, we like to get our A. We like to um, be the favorite student. And I think there's some natural human nature of this. Of we we want to be good rule followers. And when someone else is making the rules, we want to be accepted by them and we don't want to be a quack. So we're trained really early on. Those who question things are unusual or dangerous or they're a quack. And and God forbid we should be a quack because, you know, we're good students. We're smart. We don't want to be like that. And I think there's a lot of that psychology that goes on. And I think by most doctors, not intentionally. I don't think most of them are like, oh, I'm going to convince these people. However, the the marketing is very intentional that is coming at the the highest of the high and the pharmaceutical industry that they, before they come up with a product, when they see it's going to be successful, they start marketing that product years ahead of time, marketing that disease that formerly did Mm -hmm. not have a a prescription for it. So they start marketing. Oh, guess what is coming up these days. And so that marketing comes really early. So then when they come and save you with that pill, then everyone's really excited about it. They don't even realize that they've been being prepared for that moment. Um, and doctors either. Like, and and I can tell you, I've been to, I, I kind of stopped going to allopathic uh, trainings a couple of years mm-hmm. ago because I couldn't take it anymore. Because really, when you go there and 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 at, at the common conferences, it is the title is though the latest pharmaceuticals in diabetes, the latest pharmaceuticals in osteoporosis, the latest, latest pharmaceuticals and this and that. And in those lectures, you're hearing all this exciting um, news about these different treatments. You hear very little about risks and you hear regularly nutrition is dismissed. Natural remedies are dismissed or, or even like, I remember at the last conference, the, um, even they're talking about gluten sensitive people. They're like, oh, there's no one with gluten sensitivity. It's celiac disease or nothing. And so they're telling a thousand physicians in one sitting, kind of halfway making fun of people who are having gluten sensitivity or people who don't react well to the flu vaccine. They're making fun of them in mass. And that has a psychological impact, mm-hmm. a ripple really that goes down. So I think it's a mix of, um, lack of knowledge because most doctors I know don't know the actual studies. I know they just know that well, they've been taught at these. They're like, because we're busy. Like we're, we have yeah. children. We have kids that are in sports and we're busy, like working way too many hours. Most of us um, that work full time are working a lot of hours. And so the idea of putting in even more effort on top of that to really dig into the truth is not usually inviting for most mm-hmm. doctors. And so for them to recognize once they once I started going down the, the different rabbit holes and recognizing, wow, there's a whole other level of truth deep down beyond what we're kind of presented. And I had to go through my own phases of grieving really in medicine where I went through sadness and anger and disbelief um, until I kind of came to the other side of like, okay, it's not all bad. It's not all good. But that's a hard thing for physicians to go through when they, in their mind, they're like, I'm here doing a good job, but I'm here to to do the best I can do. And they think they are when there's this whole other reality that they're not even aware of. And that's, and, and then to undo that on top requires a lot of work. I mean, when I, when I went through functional medicine training, I was, had three kids under like five and, you know, studying 
on top of my 55 hour a week job, but I had the incentive because my children were um, suffering in their health. So I had to find a solution. So I had the extra incentive that maybe if you or if your family's healthy, they're doing fine. You don't have that same incentive or you don't have a sick family member that you're trying to figure out. It's just easy. So I, I think it's a mix of some dismissiveness, lack of training. Um, and I do believe the training is very biased, even though they try to say it's not biased, it's very biased. Uh, and I totally understand that. Now, when it comes then to a shift in, I mean, we see it now. We see how be- how busy is the functional medicine school? How many more practitioners are trying to grasp other things? There are two things that, I, that stand out to me. One, the change in medicine may be up to the patient and maybe a patient led. So getting patients with the kind of what the ethos of this show is getting them to ask questions, getting them not to just accept. So I see a patient led progress. The other thing is that all doctors don't have to go back to school to become a functional medicine doctor, but they can have in their Rolodex qualified practitioners that can help to, you know, get a a fully encompassed area of health. Do you see both of these avenues? Do you see one more than the other? Or is this just wishful thinking? No, I think that the patients are definitely creating a shift uh, because of the demand, right? So like as soon as I started uh, studying uh, functional medicine or any kind of integrative medicine, actually, once people heard that I was actually open to different ideas, mm-hmm. that, they, that they just wanted to be able to bounce the ideas that they've already studied and learned off of someone and be respected, that alone, I had people yeah. like driving a long time to come see me. They just want to be heard and respected, right? So then as even in my small town, even as that started getting around, at first, the doctors were like, she doing over there. Then when they started seeing the benefits of it, they're like, how do you learn that? You know, then they were like curious. So it created in that smaller town a demand because the patients were asking for me just for that purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. So then as and that's why I love I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and we're really exploding in integrative medicine uh, providers of all kinds, which is amazing. And the more we have, which means there's more patient demand. Right. And so mm-hmm. that shifted the entire landscape of medicine, I think, in my area. Uh, and it's coming from purely patient demand. People were driving, like people drive from all over the country, really, to come to see a good provider. And and so that's going to shift, I think. And doctors, I have more other doctors now referring patients to me because I also don't keep their patients. Like I encourage patients to go back to their primary care providers so we can create a teamwork. And I, and I let them know, I'm like, they, yes, they don't know, but if we can show them your improvements, then that will spark their mind to say, wow, who else can like, I can send this patient there too. And they'll come back and that patient will come back to me. So I really try to send patients back to them to inspire their providers, but also to, it creates a great, a nice referral network. So that's definitely has been happening over the last many years as we've grown in our area. And this has happened across the country. So yeah, it's exciting methods of having the growth and explosion and the shift of the landscape is really patient driven. Yeah. And I like this conversation because we're not bashing here. I mean, you are so right. You know, doctors need to stay in their lane. They need to know medicine. They need to know that path. 
But I think where the broadening, especially with with what I see, is that they are now maybe saying, well, maybe you should go talk to a nutritionist or maybe and slowly but surely, as you say, as the results are coming back, the the mind is broadening. The other issue that I want you to maybe talk about is it, you know, it's built into the system of teaching with doctors. Do we need to change the actual teaching system from ground zero to start incorporating at least the ideas? Yes. So I will say when, you know, I went to med school, like I started in 1996, so it's been a while. Um, and I suspect it's not much different, although there are a couple medical schools I understand that's starting to incorporate in some functional medicine ideas. But for just so, if there's a doctor out there listening, if they, I, I hope they hear this part, is that in the first two years of medical school, we learn, you know, biochemistry, embryology, pathophysiology, like you learn all the basic sciences. And I remembered at that time, being told, don't worry, yes, it's kind of like details that you don't really need to really remember. Like once you pass the first boards after the second year, we'll get to the fun stuff, which is like learning how to treat and prescribe. You can forget all the stuff from the first two years of medical school. Well, as soon as I started studying functional medicine, it was all based upon the first two years of medical school. Mm -hmm. But there is that disconnect because doctors, if you look at Wikipedia, I don't want to give this really too much traction, but if you read about functional medicine, there is horrible. It's like, if you were to read that, it was like pseudoscience and snake oil and all this kind of stuff. But really it is based in the basic sciences of medicine, of, of human, the human body. And so it's so valuable. So if I get a doctor like to hear that and remember, they probably have heard the same thing. Oh, you'll get, once you get to third year med school, this is when you get to the fun. You can forget all the stuff you've learned. And it was, uh, and when I was learning functional medicine, I'm like, oh, if I could just go back to the first years of medical school and see how this really applies to health, um, that would shift everything. If they could actually really continue, if all those attendees could go learn functional medicine and see how these first years of medical school directly impact how we see a patient, how we help a patient heal. Because, you know, for those of you who don't know, like our skin and our gut lining were once the same inside when we were an embryo in our mom's bellies, right? It was the same level. And then so the, the skin goes to the outside and the gut stays on the inside. So a lot of people have gut issues also have skin issues. So if like you've got a lot of eczema and psoriasis, if you work on healing the gut, the skin issues get better, if not completely, like they improve at least, right? So those little things, even embryology matters in functional medicine. So it's very based in real science, real health. Uh, so yes, I think we, if we could, that'd be great if we could shift um, the education because like, the th again, the thing is I use prescriptions too all the time. I'm not anti-pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us still use prescriptions and it's a nice little uh, coverage while we work on underlying roots of health. And some people also, they just progress long enough into their disease. It's kind of hard to stop all medicines. Um and again, and thank God for all the advances that pharmaceutical companies have made. So just so you know, I'm I'm not against pharmaceuticals, but I am against using it first line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just have to, or unless it's like, like things we do well in medicine is trauma um, and acute medicine, acute care. But even that's kind of questionable in my opinion. But the trauma, the we have amazing technology. But honestly, if you like see what they're doing in Europe and in Asia, 
they really are quite advanced. And when you look at the American, as in the United States, I know you guys are Canadian, American, you are Americans too, but in the United States, if you compare um, like our healthcare system to the rest of the world, we rank really quite low. I mean, we're number one for infant and maternal mortality in all the developed nations. Uh, we rank like 34th for quality of care for chronic disease states. We rank 33rd in the world for longevity by age five. We rank at the bottom of uh, modern nations, you know, with um, longevity in adolescence. I mean, it is really a serious issue here in this country that a lot of doctors think, oh, we're still the best in the world, which we're really not. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's an ugly reality that we're having to face, especially looking at, um, you know, just the pandemic and what happened here. Um, of course, we all have our different theories ab- about this, but it, it, it impacted our outcomes dramatically of the, the shift um, away from using our mind and our eyes and our hands and our intuition to treat patients. Uh, that was really taken away from us because they, they want us to follow algorithms regardless of who's in front of us. And that's a very dangerous um way that our medicine is gone, that we need to shift back to get our hands on the patient. But it seems like they're moving away from that further because we're about to be replaced by AI. Mm -hmm. And that's another show altogether, isn't it? (laughs) Everybody, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few minutes to continue our conversation. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Cami Benton. Dr. Benton, um, we touched briefly upon... Uh, people coming and having time with you and space to talk about how they feel. Why is that missing in medicine? How does that being heard positively affect our health? Well, right now, in the at least in the United States, uh, patients are seen every 10 to 15 minutes on average in a corporate setting. And within that time, we're also going through the quality of care metrics and check-in boxes. And half the times, if you can actually listen to the patient. A lot of times the patient will tell you their diagnosis. Like 80% of the time, I feel like they're like, did you know I had this stressful event that happened right before this? And so then you can get into the, this, the emotion of their illness and the spirituality of their illness, but you just don't have time in a setting. So I, I have my own practice because I couldn't take it anymore. I could not do medicine in 10 minutes. And so I have a direct primary care practice where I have like 45 minutes to an hour with every patient. And it just amazes me, like, once you give them time, like, patients are so empowered to be able to give their ideas, and and it makes them part of the team for their own health versus in the regular setting where you just, all right, here's your pill, see you back in three months, here's your pill, see you back in three months. And it's just disempowering because you're just having to do what the doctor tells you. There's no time to really uh, navigate your own health. And uh, even when patients have surgeries, I tell them, you know, have the surgeon pray with you, slow down, Um, say, slow down. I want to pray with the team because what that does, that brings them into that moment of really, oh, this patient's paying attention Mm -hmm. right now. And and it it gets them out of their 
their habit of their rut of going through patient to patient to patient. So really engaging your provider. And, and I would say to patients too, it's like, if, if you find you're not being heard, you need to say, Hey, I feel like I'm not being heard. Sometimes that doctor, they're not meaning to do that. They're just trying to survive. They're just trying to like stay on track and usually the 30, 40 minutes behind and they're, and they're getting in trouble for being behind, but then triple booked <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And so this has, in a, in a curious way, in a compassionate way, you can actually ask the doctor, hey, can you slow down for me? Because I'm not being heard. It's, it, it, you'll get a different outcome if you do that. I totally agree. When you ask just one, what would you call intellectual question in your interview or in your, your um, consultation with your doctor, they are stopped. I've seen it so many times. I've had so many people tell me, I asked this one question and then we had a whole different conversation. And that's what I so want to put across to everybody is get questions in your mind. Don't be afraid to, it's your body. It's your body and you've got to really tend to it yourself. Now we just got through a pandemic. Uh, Everybody was shifted in some way, shape or form. How did it shift you as a practitioner? Well, I had already, like I said, kind of broken away from the system a little bit before this happened. And I was so full of gratitude uh, that I had my own practice. Uh, In the United States, at least, it was very much controlled by algorithms and algorithms that, you know, I can go, this could be a whole other show Mm -hmm. um, that I, I think were not the right intentions that were being put out there. And I think a lot of people, they created so much fear and a lot of people lived in fear. Uh, And I think a lot of the policies actually supported driving more fear rather than safety. Uh, Because what we did, instead of going out and exercising, seeing the sun, getting the vitamin D um, and being connected, they literally disconnected us at the deepest levels. Like even the six foot distance, when you measure our energy, you measure the EKG in your heart, you measure the EEG in your brain, you can measure our body's energy up to six feet out. So it's interesting that they chose six feet for you to stay away from other people. Um, the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Um, so I measure um, people six feet away. And so then literally we're even energetically being disconnected from other people, right? So it, it was such an isolating time. But then on top of that, I watched people being refused care. So locally, we treated over 1,100 patients. Um, hold on one second. Sorry, that was unexpected. Um, sorry, I know, sorry about that. No worries. Um, anyway, um, where was I? Okay, so we were isolated on the deepest level, uh, on a personal level. And even people, when they had COVID inside their own house, they would go to their own room and they were isolated and afraid. But then in the middle of this, we had, you know, doctors attacking other doctors. I mean, it became such a really traumatic experience within, for me, within medicine, even within the integrative community, there was a big split of, oh, this pro this narrative or pro that narrative. And instead of actually really caring about patients, it became quite a vicious thing. So I even had a classmate of mine uh, from medical school wish death upon the unvaccinated. Um, I support people getting whatever vaccine they want. It's um, all about uh, informed consent and your choice. But this was an experimental vaccine. And so there's a lot of people who really did not feel comfortable taking an experimental vaccine, uh, especially when you, especially now when you look at the statistics 
for survival now versus what we were hearing of the news at the time. And so when I was seeing really doctors being this aggressive, like really wishing death, refusing care, and we started seeing one-time patients. So we treated over 1,100 patients that were not ours. They were all refused care from their primary cares, from urgent cares, from ERs. And so then you're like, how can this happen in a pandemic? And quite frankly, I got in trouble for treating COVID patients. Um, I had to like, invest. I got reported by two pharmacists for prescribing early treatment for COVID. A pro-vaccine activist from California reported me. And so we're having to do, I'm, I'm still lucky I have my license. Other doctors lost their licenses for treating COVID patients. And um, I've had to do some punishment CME, continuing education for treating COVID patients. It's like literally was a crazy issue. So what that did, it gave me a whole other level of understanding of what the medical system has become and what is my role. And I realized I can't really fight such a big system. I And honestly, that was like, the anger in me and that frustration in me was tearing me apart. So I was like, what can I do differently? And so we decided, like, we're going to build our own medical system. It's time for us to create a parallel system. And so we created this uh, concept. It's called Compass Integrative Health. You can actually look up compassintegrativehealth.com. And it's a nonprofit and for-profit project that we're wanting to build an integrative medical system. We're going to start off first with an integrative urgent care and then hopefully build it up to the inpatient system. And what we want to do is like not like thank God for medicines that we have. So we we use antibiotics when you need or, you know, IV fluids when you need. But then we also have homeopathy. We have herbals. We have the acupuncturist. We have the chiropractor. And because right now we have wellness centers across the country popping up left and right. But what about when you're sick? When you're really mm-hmm. sick, how can we keep people out of the hospital? Or even when you get in the hospital, how can we optimize their outcomes? So right now in, in regular hospitals, you're not allowed to use IV vitamin C. Well, that seemed to be a critical thing for so many people, high-dose vitamin D, high-dose vitamin C, but that's considered taboo in the allopathic medicine circle, even though there's plenty of studies to support it. And worst case scenario, it causes little harm. Right. So like, why not bring in these integrated modalities, sound frequency healing? And and like I had heard you mention earlier about even lighting in the hospitals, when you deal with fluorescent lighting, people get migraines, people get brain fog, even the lighting of a room matters. And we were even thinking about things like, you know, when someone's in the ICU, like, can we not create like a wall that goes up to roll them outside so they get some fresh air? Mm-hmm. When they're really sick, but right now we are have them all like clumped into these rooms. There's all these harsh chemicals and sprays and cleaners uh, that are um, in, like creating problems with people. Like with asthma, people with asthma they don't do well with those those chemicals and those fragrances in the air. Uh, they and the air is just like heavy with the smell. Everyone knows the smell of the hospital. Mm-hmm. No one likes it, right? So why not create a different environment? And so we get to use the best of everything. We get to use the best of Western medicine, but we also get to use the best of Chinese medicine and acupuncture, sound frequency healing, lighting, um, having people's preferred spiritual advisors, whether it be a priest, a pastor, a shaman, you know, whatever, and have us really collaborate and have like their shaman or their priest or whoever on the team and understand the spiritual aspect of someone's healing. People died alone during this pandemic, mm-hmm. 
people died alone and they could not even touch their family member. Right. And, and to me, that was the women had their babies taken from them at birth. If they tested positive, when the, the baby does the best, when they touch the mom, they get the antibodies from the breast milk. And we deprived women of an, a normal delivery during this time. There are so many crimes against humanity to me that increase death, um, the lack of early treatment, the um, pushing of a treatment like remdesivir that we knew at the beginning of the pandemic, the study was already there that showed uh, high risk, high risk of serious harms, kidney failure, lung edema, death with remdesivir. Yet that was the treatment of choice that was started in the United States. And, um, and Fauci had direct ties to that. You know, so when you see that regulatory capture happening and you watch people dying, you're like, it's time for us to make a difference, but we can't fight that system. Let's just start our own new. And so now people across the country, it's beautiful to watch. There are people of all kinds across the country doing new things for our earth, for our communities, for our world, for our countries. And these are the really the heroes uh, of what's happening now, the shift in the timeline of that heavy, heavily corrupted system, that, that system that is really so contaminated by greed, right? So now we have these, these people saying, okay, I'm not fighting, we're creating. And now we're getting to do things out of love, connection. So there are people out there teaching people how to turn their yards into gardens, right? To have renewable food sources. Um, how do we become less dependent on the system? How do we become less dependent on doctors? Like how can we, so I see groups of people around here uh, learning herbal medicine and homeopathy and really taking their health in their own hands. And it's really quite beautiful and empowering. And then as we are shifting this medical system, if we can also like our goal too, is to help heal nurses and therapists and doctors from the old corporate system. So we plan to even bring in some good mind body therapies for everyone who comes into the system to undo their traumas. Because even though we don't like it, a lot of times we don't realize what parts that we've taken on is normal. And so we've got to, we've got to do everything from scratch. Right. And, 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 but we're doing it on every level of society right now. They're doing an education in, in farming, in medicine, uh, in, just everything is is honestly, I'm so excited to be a time. You know, this is time to be alive right now. And this shift in history, because we got, we can remember the traumas. We can remember the hard things, but how these hard things is what creates this new sense of urgency for creation, for connection, because we were so disconnected on every level during this pandemic. I'm so excited. So if anyone wants to donate to Compass Integrative Health, like we do have donations that are there. Um, I have had to take a little backseat while I'm dealing with the medical board issues, but that's all right. Cause I'm, we're doing it and we're going to get to the other side and uh, we're going to show them that we are, we are not going anywhere. Like the, the, the patients are really demanding something new and better after this three years. And I'm full of gratitude for them showing their greed. Cause now people who were not aware of it before, they're aware of it now. So they've really helped to shift that toxic energy has really helped to shift people into a new sense of urgency for the sake of our children, mm-hmm. for the sake of our future, because we have to shift. We're, we have to go in another direction because this current direction is destructive. Is there a structure, an existing structure that you're working from, or are you still in the building phase, the ideology phase? Yeah, we're still uh, we're in the raising money phase. <laughs> 
Because it's going to be a lot. Well, like I said, we're probably, you know, the, the original plan was like, let's just open up a hospital. But due to the, like, it is, they have laws that protect bigger companies, bigger corporations, and makes it hard to open up an actual hospital. Um, so they, they've created laws to protect themselves. So we're having to, we're using legal help. And that's what we're raising money for right now to get lawyers involved and help us find the ins and outs of, um, you know, how can we get away with this? Because right now they have a thing called certificate of need and for an actual hospital. And you have to get approval from the the government to build an actual hospital. And they are directly tied to the bigger corporations that can actually make it difficult on us. So mm-hmm. there's like layers of the stuff that I've discovered. It's like, I'm like, oh, let's build a hospital. I'm like, oh, that's a big project. And then I'm like, we can do it. But now I'm saying, oh yeah, it's a big project. So it's I'm I'm, I'm having to step down like, it's in God's timing, not my timing. <laughs> well, is, is there an online presence that can can it be an online type of a hospital? So I know you can't do acute care, obviously. Right. But can you offer something online or is that already in in place? Well, no, no. It's like we're still in the planning phase of it. Right? Like I said, we're probably going to start with a local integrative hospital with some telemedicine. We're probably going to do some telemedicine for the urgent care type things. So that way we actually have an integrative approach to acute care issues um, but then, like I said, once we get rid uh, past the integrative urgent care, the next phase would be then to do more inpatient care, like emergency room, inpatient care. Um, and then we also want to have like a biohacking sort of lab to help sort of the that's going to help to also fund the hospital. Because that's the thing is like for this hospital uh, is different in the United States because we're so insurance based. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that most people can't ins- like afford most of the insurances anyway, and our healthcare is so expensive. So what we're trying to do right now, the research right now is how can we create a sustainable hospital without using Medicare, Medicaid, because if we accept the government funding, we have to follow the rules. Right. Anyway, right. So that right now we're working with people. So we're in a, the deep planning phase of finding the people, getting the donations to at least get the hospital built and the investors. Um, and we already have our investor capital person that we're going to be working with uh, for the investments. And then, um, so we got to raise the money first and, mm-hmm. and, but we, so we got, we're, we're looking for like things like uh, crowd health is like a, a crowdsource kind of way of raising money. Like there's Samaritan's ministries, basically these are co-op insurances. So you pay like a monthly fee to it. And then like, let's say if you need surgery, then they'll crowdsource all that money and pay for your surgery. That's how we're getting this creative sources of sort of money uh, to pay uh, people's services, but then also having the nonprofit end to help lower income people. Because again, I was lower income growing up and I don't want this to be a place for the elite mm-hmm. or just the wealthy. So we're going to have the nonprofit arm so we can target minorities and um, people, domestic violence or just at risk people at all. We want to make sure that they are able to all get in with equal care um, as much as possible. And then also, if there are insurances, we're trying to discover those insurances that don't have the same requirements as Medicare. Because again, if you take Medicare, then you're forced to do things. I'd be forced to do things I disagree with. Um, and because it's, I think it's meant to be a good system, but there are some definite downfalls that I want to be able to have the choice to saying, no, I don't want the COVID vaccine for myself. Mm-hmm. But if I take Medicare, I have to take the COVID vaccine to be able to provide care, for instance. And that's not going anywhere anytime soon, I think. 
So, so it, maybe it, a flex plan of insurance. So you're looking for flex dollars, uh, that right. sort of thing. That's what we have here. And that's right. how I'm allowed to, you know, patients can bill me because a lot of them are flex care. So I, I see that coming. If people want to find out more about you, the hospital, to donate, where should they be looking? Well, to donate, definitely compassintegrativehealth.com um, is that landing page. Again, it's in this infancy, really, and I'm in the process of we need donations to get more legal help because, honestly, that's the biggest thing for us right now is the legal help to get around the certificate of need. Um, and then uh, Benton Integrative Medicine is my website for the direct primary care to let people know what we offer. And uh, But right now, I'm actually in the process of really trying to create community and community can be local, community. We have community across the country of people working together with ideas. Because, again, we want to be able to work together. And ideally, like whatever we do for the Compass Integrative Health, we truly are, like, I want to share the blueprints. Like, it's not for me. This is for the community, built by the community. And if we can actually share these the information that we've learned to other people across the country, then we help expedite this type of new earth medicine that is really we're building across the country and Canada because we, we have to do it differently. And I would like, thankfully like Mexico has a lot more open-minded health, you know, opportunities than the United States does. So I know a lot of people who are going down to Mexico for their treatment in spite of what the media says, the patients are having a different experience and, and what can we learn from other countries too? So if we have people from other countries they're like, hey, this is how we do it here. We already have an integrative system here. Reach out to me because I'd love to learn um, how it was done and to not have to do the same mistake twice. So let's learn from each other. So reach out to me and I'd love to uh, create a bigger community of people to have these ideas because this is part of, this is a community on a bigger level. Even though I'm going to be building it locally, this is really important for our, our world uh, is to share this everywhere this idea everywhere i have nothing i have no sense of competition like if someone steals this idea from me have at it we all need this across the country if someone makes a chain of like loving compassionate collaborative integrative care for sick people i'll be in heaven Mm -hmm. you know the wave is building i've uh, we have um, in Canada, Impact Medicine. Um, it, it's, a, it's a book that was written by another guest on our show. Same idea. Patient-led, patient-pushing, practitioners jumping on board. You can see the wave is building, and I congratulate you for all that you do. This show could have been two hours long. We still have so many things we could have talked about. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. I wish you all the best, all the best in your thank endeavors. Thank you for having me. God bless you. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.